Hello, and welcome to this week's NASDAQ Dorsey Wright podcast. Uh, my name is Ian Saunders. Before we jump into some of the things that we'll be taking a look at this week, I do want to give a quick shout out and make sure that everyone knows about our 2022 Fall Symposium. It's coming up here in a few weeks. It's a great in-person event. We're thrilled to be having in-person events again. It's going to be taking place November 2nd through the 4th here in Richmond, Virginia at the, uh, the beautiful Jefferson Hotel. Um, I do want to make sure that people know if you are interested in signing up for that. We have a lot of registration information in the agenda and stuff available on the website, um, but we are going to be ending the early bird discounted rates um, actually this Friday on, on September 30th. Um, so if you're looking to sign up, be sure to go in, check out some of the, some of the information available on it, and take advantage of that uh, $200 discount on, on the event. Um, so with that, we'll go ahead and dive into things that we were looking to cover this week. We're coming in at the time of this recording here uh, on a th Thursday afternoon uh, with the market down about another 2 to 2.3%, at least right now at the time of this recording. Um, seeing a lot of weakness across the board and a lot of kind of uh, big thrusts to the downside on a lot of these indicators. I mean, we've been talking about a lot of different things um, over the course of the past few weeks on kind of a lack of breadth that we're seeing or really just like washed out levels for a lot of indicators. Um, but in looking at the S&P, I mean, we saw a new a new 52-week low kind of printed today. We, we, we took out, dropped down beneath that 36.20 level uh, briefly this morning, so a little bit of a higher level in the afternoon, and then, then kind of backing off a bit uh, now at the time of this recording. But that marks the lowest level for the S&P that we've seen since December of 2020. Wow. So um, you can see that depicted on the 20-point chart. I mean, kind of, kind of cleanly depicted there um, with movement. We're kind of right at that 36.40 mark. Had formed a double bottom there with movement kind of earlier this morning and then kept heading through that to kind of break that new low. So uh, definitely not a strong looking chart. Three consecutive sell signals mm -hmm. in a column of those and a negative trend. But pretty oversold. Anything else you want to add to that? <laughs> I think pretty oversold is, is a good point to kind of tack on yeah. there. That I mean, we're seeing these oversold indicators that we talked about, and we're seeing that depicted on some of the broader market indices. Yeah. Too. Yeah. I mean, I was listening to, I believe it was you and David talked last week about some of the index charts. And then along with that, just some of the oversold readings that we've seen, whether it's the positive momentum for the SPX, as you guys hit on, that is pretty much at the lowest chart level it can get to, I believe. Pretty much. I think it's good. Yeah. These things can go lower. They Market can go lower. The indicators can't go too much lower. I mean, like bullish percents, I think BP SPX is like south of 12%. So yeah, yeah I mean, definitely echo the thoughts on the oversold posture of the market, but also just some unfavorable technical setups that have started near-term, intermediate, and now kind of longer-term, you've seen some bigger risk signals on some of our larger in indicators. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, the the classic kind of cash indicators that we have on the site, there's, there's several different ways that we look at cash comparisons on the site, right? We're going to spend a majority of the time today kind of diving through some of those different cash indicators, cash relative strength specifically. Um, and the most longer term one that we generally have is, is the DALI, Asset Class Rankings. Uh, DALI, for those who might not be familiar, stands for Dynamic Asset Level Investing. And it's really our way to take six broad asset classes, domestic equities, cash, commodities, currencies, fixed income, and international, and stack them up against one another, see which ones come out on top, right? Um, right now, cash is sitting at the top of that for uh, the first time for the first time since 2020. Um, we saw cash rise above domestic equities 
Um, for the second time this year, actually, with market movement through Friday, so we saw that trade that change come through Monday morning, um, and then over the next few days, we've seen cash continue to rise, overtaking commodities, which had held on to that top-ranked asset class throughout most of this year. Um, now, cash sits ahead of commodities by by three signals um, here with market movement through Wednesday. Yeah, I mean, commodities was kind of your place to hide for most of this year. Fixed income wasn't helping you very much. There weren't many areas of equities that were allowing you to do so. But like you said, commodities most recently falling to cash. A big component of that that we were talking about before recording has been their weakness in energy. So whether it's crude oil, natural gas, both of those have really taken it on the chin lately. Precious metals, of course, haven't really helped either base metals. Agriculture has held up probably the best within the commodity complex. But across the board, they just haven't been able to kind of keep that steam and fend off cash. So, a lot, so like you said, I think a lot of that was funneling the strength and allowing cash to claim. And the U.S. dollar, of course, kind of speaks for itself. Being yeah. Really big component of that as well. As yeah, well. yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the Dolly asset class ranking, I mean, it looks at multiple representatives for each asset class, right? And then stacks each of them up against one another. And so it's not just like one name that, that's overtaking domestic right. equities or overtaking commodities. A lot of different stuff thrown in there that we look at for cash, even though you, the, the, the cash is cash, right? I mean, you can't, can't have, but we do look at multiple different kind of short-term treasuries, extremely short-term treasuries and different kind of cash proxies within that ranking for cash. Um, one of those proxies we look at is, is the U.S. dollar, like you mm -hmm. mentioned. Uh, the, the fund representative that we look at is UUP, um, and we saw that fund move to actually the top of the entire matrix ranking, for so beating any representative for any asset class. And we've seen a lot of those signal changes for cash come because of that rising strength that we've seen in the dollar um, really depicted there through that asset class ranking. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's uh, in looking at the kind of historical cash ranking and, and how cash sits relative to domestic equities, right? Th this is, as I mentioned, that the second time this year we've seen cash move above domestic equities. We saw it occur earlier this year, and then cash backed off. We saw it occurring kind of mid-June, cash backed off, doubling it back beneath domestic equities on August 12th, I believe. And then now we've seen it return and cross back above domestic equities market moving through last Friday. Um, it's the first time that's ever happened. That we've wow. seen it twice in one market environment, or mm -hmm. certainly within one calendar year. Um, there haven't really been that many times to cash a sat ahead of domestic equities at all. We were looking at that earlier. Yeah. Um, I mean, you're looking at, what was it, 2020, 2016, and 2008, and it's really it. Yeah. Right? yeah, at least in our history, it's definitely been few and far between. You've had a really strong equity market, specifically the, 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 the domestic equity market, even like fixed income for the most part has held up well apart from this year. Mm -hmm. So yeah, cash hasn't found itself up here very often. So we don't get to talk about cash being a top ranked asset class very frequently. Hence the podcast today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think you can see some of that, those differences um, depicted on some of the other ca cash indicators that, that we have, right? I mean, you, yeah. if you dive into, if you're on the Dolly page and you look, you click on the Dolly details page, you can see a little bit of insight into some other variations of, of cash rankings that we have. One of those being what we call the cash percentile rank, um, which looks at things a little bit more kind of in-depth within each asset class, right? Yeah. So like Ian was saying, we rank the asset classes within Dolly, also the sub-asset classes, so sector, size, and style groups. And quick tangent, that's actually been a bit more stable this year, you know, from a sector perspective, you haven't seen as volatile as changes as you've seen from an asset class perspective, but I'll, I'll close that tangent line, but more so what Ian was saying about, about the cash percentile rank, we're looking at not just among asset class, but within each asset class, how strong is cash? 
measured within the matrix. So within the asset classes, relative strength rankings, where does cash rank among those representatives? So for example, to put some numbers behind this, if you were to look within the commodities asset class, how strong is cash within those commodity representatives? It's in the 80th percentile right now, which think 99th percentile or 100th is the top and then you know one would be the bottom. So the 80th percentile is near the top of that major most of the stuff in there. Oh yeah, beating most of the stuff in there, you know, comfortably yeah. in the in in the top third of that matrix and, and a lot of the other asset classes. Yeah, and I think the commodities specific before we jump from that, I mean, that seems to some interesting movement. I mean, commodities are sat at the top of the the broader dolly rankings, which is the longer term cash focus, right? Sat at the broader uh, top of those rankings for for quite a while, for several months since really the beginning of this year. Um, but cash has continued to creep higher in that in that um, in the cash percentile rank for commodities. I mean, it's been above the fifty percent mark for in that commodities really since July of this year, mm-hmm. um, which you wouldn't necessarily kind of expect, but does provide some insight into. Some of those commodities are starting to fail, some of those relative strength signals, and then we ultimately saw that carry over into the broader asset right. class rank. Right. Yeah, I mean, with currently the 80th percentile rank for commodities is looks like your highest since like May, June timeframe of 2020. Mm-hmm. So a lot of relative strength favoring cash within that commodities complex. A lot of that, of course, commodities went on a huge run. A lot of those were on big stems. So they've kind of used that volatility to the downside, big inhale, big exhale for a lot of those charts. And that that's kind of rolled over. And, and, and you can see, looking at some of the other asset classes, I think one that sticks out to me is going to be fixed income. Cash is sitting in the 94th percentile within that fixed income asset class. So it's pretty high. Oh, yeah. I mean, very, very few fixed income representatives are functioning better than cash. I would expect, if anything in there, maybe it's ultra short duration tips, something that's holding up relatively better, but yeah, very few. Your one to three month treasury is yeah. kind of the, the, the stuff that might be on yeah. there. Um, yeah, and looking at these, I mean, you're seeing everything in the, the kind of red zone. So we yeah. use this cash percentile rank at kind of three classifications, right? You're your bottom third strong, your middle third average, your top third weak. Um, everything's red except for domestic equities. I mean, it's it's high. It's in, it's yeah. in the, it's that fifty percent in that kind of average zone, but it's not as high as the other areas. Yeah, and I think that's a point we can touch on and maybe migrate with that some of the other places on the platform to help unpack that a bit better. But I also like to think of these rankings as if you were to have a dartboard and you're throwing a dart to pick. And at, or pick an investment that's functioning better than cash. If it's red, you have low chances of hitting somewhere on that dart. You better hit that bullseye. You better hit the bullseye. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that, that bullseye just gets smaller and smaller yeah, and yeah. smaller. But if cash was in the green, so that bottom third of the asset class ranks, then yeah, you, you, you have a much higher percentage of picking a functioning investment. But like you said, for domestic equities, that's a standout on the positive, at least right now at 51%. So cash is still in the top half, which is not a comfortable place to be. It's still a warning flag for sure for some individual investments. But looking beneath the hood, we can try to explain kind of some of why why that is and why cash isn't ranking as high within the asset class itself, even though it has moved to the top of the Dolly ranks. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that that's mindset that I mean, cash did move up. It beat a lot of the other areas than the, a, lot of the, a lot of the other asset classes, not beating everywhere in the domestic equity space. Um, you can see that depicted on some of the other indicators that we have too, right? I mean, looking yeah. at um, the, the asset class group scores, rankings, 
which is another way that we rank asset classes by fund scores instead of by the strictly relative strength based mm-hmm. ranking. Um, but it shows a pretty similar story. I mean, the two main uh, rankings that we look at on there, what we call the money market percent rank, basically how many of the group score proxies is cash beating and, and the U.S. equity core percent rank, how many of the group score proxies is the core equity market or our S&P 500 index group, how many, um, what percent is, is that group beating? Um, generally, you like to see a high core equity and a low money market. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, we see a, a high core equity, 90%. But we see a very high money market at, at 83% or 82%, yeah. sorry, um, which is, I mean, the first time we've ever seen both of them score these upper echelons of, of the scoring system um, at the same time. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's you saying that, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. This one might make me scratch my head a bit about that. I mean, there's, we really don't have precedent for this type of setup where you have cash with this amount of strength, but at the same time that equity core rank is as high, maybe trying to put some of that together is that when we're talking about the equity core of the market, just like we're talking about the domestic equities asset class and fixed income, it's not just the S&P 500 cap weighted benchmark. There are a lot of other components going in. For Dolly, it's a more holistic representation of domestic equities. There's small caps in there. There's various, there's various size and styles as a whole within that asset class. Then on the asset class group scores page here, that equity core ranking, it is going to be large caps of S&P 500 funds, but they're not all cap weighted funds. In fact, if you look within that equity core group, you're seeing equal weighted funds doing very well or relatively scoring much better. A lot of value funds are also towards the top. So it's really the cap weighted funds, the overweight tech, overweight consumer discretionary that's been lagging. And those equal weight value tilted funds have held up that equity core to keep it as high as it is so far. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 seeing a score above above 90. I mean, you, you expect that to maybe kind of back up a little bit, but we've, we've seen it actually kind of increase a, bit, mm-hmm. a little bit just because other areas commodity areas moving beneath it. Right? I mean, you had commodities fell, fell down, scores out the three. I mean, not that many groups have strong scores right now at all. Yeah. I mean, you only had 15 groups with a score above the 3.0 threshold, um, which is very low historically. Mm-hmm. And that 3.0 threshold is kind of that halfway point line in the sand yeah. that we generally look toward. I mean, it's where it turns green. Right. Page. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's a green light. Right? Okay. So, <laughs> um, but but there's a there's definitely been a lot of weakness that we've seen kind of depicted here. A lot of weakness from commodities, like we touched on, that's kind of depicted in a few different ways. Um, a lot of weakness certainly on the domestic equity side, but not as much weakness there as we've seen from some other relative strength perspectives. Um, yeah. Certainly, be some interesting place to continue to monitor here as we kind of move through into the fourth quarter of the year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, keeping an eye on. We like to look at those two groups, kind of what's above, what's below. So, what's above that equity core rank? Some, I think, some standout groups still for us are going to be. You have utilities, agriculture, consumer non-cyclicals. Those have been pretty steady so far this year, scoring above the equity core. But then if you look at the other end, so what's beneath the money market rank? So what is cash beating? If you look beneath that. It's a ton of fixed income representatives are beneath cash. Almost all of your fixed income. I don't know one that's above, actually. Uh, actually, here's two. Short duration. Short duration. <laughs> yeah. We can pick out a couple. Yeah, yeah. But a ton of a ton of kind of overweight growth, aggressive growth, a lot of fixed income representatives. So keeping intact, you know, what's below cash, what's functioning worse than cash, and then kind of what's functioning better than your equity market. I think that's an important thing to keep in mind. And the group scores are 
are not a very sensitive view, but they're going to be more quickly moving than maybe a Dolly perspective. So right, right. high volatility right now in the market. I think it's the page that I'll, I'm I'm going to be checking for yeah, often. Yeah, certainly a great place. And you can set alerts on the kind of score differences or changes in that through the group scores page as well. Um, but yeah, like you said, I mean, those scores are probably going to change almost every day. Mm-hmm. Now it might go from a 3.0 for S&P 500 to a 3.01, or it might go from a 3.0 to a 3.4, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, it just, it just kind of depends on the movement for that day. Um, obviously, some of the movement that we're seeing, at least at the time that's recorded on Thursday, probably going to see some kind of further weakness across the board on, on some of these areas, but likely probably won't see that many changes because everything's kind of going down. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's the, you don't see this kind of relative when it, when everything's moving in the same direction, you don't get that relative difference to get big shifts, which I think is another important point to, to keep in mind when you're viewing these changes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, and even, and even some more kind of things to look forward to, you have a bunch of washed out indicators but at the same time, you, you've seen some of those defensive tones longer term come through in the market. Like we mentioned, high cash rank and Dolly, pretty high cash rank in the group scores page. So what are some things to kind of look for if you start to see a more risk on signal? One of the more shorter term kind of off and on indicators relating to cash that we wanted to wrap up with today is the bogey check. That's typically one of the first things to go to the downside, also to the upside. So when the market's weakening and selling off, the bogey check's going to be the first to fail. And then when the market starts to recover, it's going to be one of the first things to, to flip back positive. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just a, if you know, it's just a simple one-to-one relative strength comparison between our domestic equities, asset class, single symbol, and then a money market proxy. It's just a one-to-one relative strength chart drawn at three and a quarter percent, which will typically mean that if you get about a 10% exhale in the equity markets, that bogey check's going to fail. So anyone with a lot of decent market memory will say that's a routine correction and typically that's healthy. And you're right. So more often than not, the bogey check doesn't work out for you because more often than not, the market corrects 10% and it's it's gone higher since. However, big comma, however, apostrophe, semicolon, excuse me. The the bogey check comes into play because it gets you out early and sometimes it gets you out early before the market really materially weakens. So every 30% drawdown starts with a 10% correction. Right. So the bogey check cumulatively has, has worked out from a systematic perspective, you know, getting you out early, avoiding those really deep drawdowns and then working to get back in early right. as well. But not every, like we see, not every kind of 10% move turns into that 30%. So if it, yeah. I think that it's it's going to be the first to flip, but by nature that it's designed to be wrong more often than it's right, mm-hmm. right? And so I think the same thing, I mean, we, we talk about that a lot on the upside or when we're are high and we're looking at the bogey check potentially failing. Um, but I think the same thing is important to note on the downside, just because it flips back to a pass doesn't mean, hey, we're all guns and blazing from here, mm-hmm. right? Um, like we've seen it this year, it's flipped, flipped um, several times throughout this year. Um, we saw it initially flip down in, in January of this year. Yeah, flip back higher in March, flip flip back down in April, flip back higher in July, and now flip back down again a little over a week ago uh, on yeah. the twenty first of this month. Um, so I mean, it has been kind of a, a lot of back and forth movement, very volatile environment. So these near term indicators like this, I mean, they're just going to see more frequent changes. Um, but that's certainly something you can look toward. Uh, to to kind of see if we are in washed out territory where things are moving lower. You want to see the first relative strength-based cash indicator that's going to flip. This would kind of be yeah. the place that we would generally go to. Yeah, I think that's a great take-home point right there. If you were to write something on sticky note, I think that could be it. 
And looking at, like you said, the number of column changes we've seen for this one-to-one -one relative strength-based cash rating, just looking at the relative strength chart here, I think this might be some of the most we've seen in a single year. Of course, 2008 is rivaling that. 2011 saw a few. 2011 saw a couple as well. But really, apart from that, it's been one or two column changes and not four yeah. <laughs> that, that we're working on here, four or five. Yeah. Yeah, certainly, certainly a lot of a, a lot of first or a lot of never seen this before that yeah. we've been able to say about this market over the course of the past several weeks. Um, but I mean, at, at, as we're continuing to look at this, I mean, if you're looking to set an alert on that, if you're applying along the platform, you can you can set an alert with that in the Dolly. If you set an alert on the Dolly asset class rankings, there's an option to toggle on your bogey check too. Um, so you can be notified of any kind of movements in there and the mesk equities are as well as in any other the, the asset classes to look toward. Yeah, definitely. I think having your alert set is key right now. Volatility is high. You typically get some of your best and worst days when you have this type of volatility. So keeping your alerts and also just noting, kind of asking the question, is your investment risk, is it to the downside or is it to the upside? So if you have a really long-term investment horizon, probably your risk is missing out on upside. Whereas if you have a more near-term, very more, more shorter dated investment horizon, maybe your risk is participating in more downside and kind of how you use these indicators, I think depends on how you answer that question. Yeah, yeah certainly. Certainly. Well, I mean, I mean, I think with that, that, uh, that kind of runs through most of the cash indicators that, that, yeah, that, that we have going through. So who believes it's helpful in kind of providing some perspective on the movement that we've seen. Obviously, as we're ending the, the third quarter here, heading into the fourth quarter, um, we'll, we'll be, be coming at you with a lot of kind of quarterly updates, talking about what happened over the course of this quarter and kind of what to look toward as we move into the final three months of the year um, over the course of the next few weeks in the report. So keep an eye out for that. Well, thanks everybody for your time. Thanks, Ian, for bringing me back on this week after my two-week hiatus. I enjoyed it. Per usual, if we can be of any help, don't hesitate to reach out.